Luke 2, starting in verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now it's not by accident that the Lord's angel appeared to shepherds on this night. You know, the imagery of sheep and shepherds is all throughout Scripture. If you think back, you remember that Abraham uh, was really a shepherd. He owned lots of flocks, and of course his sons after him. And even King David started out life as, as a shepherd. So there's much imagery of shepherds and sheep throughout the Bible because it was a major part of their life and culture. And, and I wonder if, you know, Jesus came today, would he, you know, would there be somebody else he would appear to? I don't know. You know, culture is so different today. But in that day, sheep and shepherds were a major part of life of Israel. And the life of a shepherd was a difficult life. I want to read to you what one Bible dictionary says. The office of the eastern shepherd, as described in the Bible, was attended with much hardship and even danger. He was exposed to the extremes of heat and cold. His food frequently consisted of precarious supplies afforded by nature, such as the fruit of the sycamore or Egyptian fig, the husk of a carob tree, and sometimes the locusts and wild honey, which, of course, we know supported John the Baptist. He had to counter attacks of wild beasts, occasionally of the larger species, such as lions and panthers and, and bears. And he wasn't free from the risk of robbers or predators. So the life of a shepherd was a hard life. And the Bible actually elaborates a lot on the characteristics of a shepherd. And I won't give you all the scriptures, but every one of these things I'm going to tell you has scriptures that would tell you this. So the shepherd was one who cares for the flocks. And the shepherd was one who defended his flock against wild beasts. The shepherd caused the flocks to rest. The shepherd numbered the flock. The shepherd knows his flock or knew his flock by name. And the shepherd keeps the sheep and the goats apart. The shepherd waters the flocks. And the shepherd keeps the flocks in folds. So with this background in mind, let's flip over now to our text, which is John chapter 10. If you're not already there, you can go to John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 11. John 10, 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. And in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. So as we look at this, it's, it's important to know who was Jesus speaking to here and why is he using this particular analogy to describe himself? Well, if you went back to chapter 9, you'd see that uh, Jesus had just healed a blind man and it was on the Sabbath day that he did that. And since he was in Jerusalem with his disciples, there was many people following him, listening to him, and actually watching him do these, these miracles. But along with that group came the Pharisees, the scribes, and the leaders of the Jews. They continually hung around Jesus, or I might even say stalked Jesus, just waiting for an opportunity to catch him doing or saying something against the law, or at least the law as they interpreted it. And when Jesus healed this blind man, they were upset because it was done on the Sabbath. And in their perverted view of God's law, that was a sin. Because you see, you were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So after questioning the man as to who it was that healed him, these leaders of Israel cast him out of the synagogue because they didn't like his answer. His answer said, well, this guy who healed me, he must be from God. Otherwise, how could he heal me? They didn't like that answer, so they actually kicked him out of the synagogue. And so Jesus then, as he did many, many times during his three-year ministry, he begins teaching anyone who will listen and hear him. But as he was teaching here, he had a very stinging message for these Jewish leaders. And he begins with an all-important truth. And this is one we've been sharing over the last four weeks here. He says, he starts by saying, I am. That's his first two words, I am. And if you've been here in the past few weeks, you've, you've heard this before. But the I am in Greek is ego and me. And that particular phrase is equivalent to the same phrase that God used of himself all the way back at the burning bush with Moses in the book of Exodus. Back then, Moses was at the burning bush, and remember, he was going to be sent to the children of Israel to deliver them. And Moses asked God, he says, well, who shall I say sent me? You know, they're not going to listen to me, so who am I going to tell them sent me? And it's interesting because God replied first in a verb form. And he said this to Moses. He said, Hava, Asher, Hava. Now, my Hebrew is not really good, but that's close enough. Hava, Asher, Hava. Literally meaning, I exist because I exist. And then the next sentence, he, he tells Mo, Moses his proper name. I'm the God of, of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that word that was used there was the word Yahweh. Now actually, in, of course, in ancient days, it was, it was rendered only with the consonants, not the vowels. It was Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. The name was so holy that the Jews would not even say it. Oftentimes they would just say the name. But we say the name Yahweh or in Greek Jehovah. It literally means the self-existent or eternal one. 
So this reference alone, the ego of me, which is equivalent to Yahweh, would just make the Jewish leaders go ballistic. They knew exactly what he was saying. There was no question in their mind. When people say that Jesus never claimed to be God, oh yes, he often claimed to be God. Every time he said, I am, ego e me, he was claiming to be God, and they knew it, and it drove them crazy. But right after that, Jesus goes on here to call himself the good shepherd. Now notice he doesn't just say a good shepherd. He says the good shepherd. The one and only good shepherd. Now why would that bother them so much? Well, the term itself for shepherd, and by the way, it's the same word used in Greek for pastor, that word indicated the leader of a flock. So when Jesus said he was the good shepherd, they knew he was saying, I am the shepherd, the true shepherd of this flock that you are supposedly leading. And in those next few verses, Jesus will show the difference between the so-called shepherds and he himself, the true shepherd of Israel. If you look again at the end of verse 11, he says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he's not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, he flees. Yes, the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now we may read that and not think too much of it, but they knew exactly what he was doing. He was saying, you, you leaders of Israel, you are hirelings. Hirelings are those who are paid to lead a flock, and they do it only for the money. It was when you had too many flock and you didn't have all your sons were there to shepherd your flock, they would hire out hirelings. And they didn't care about the sheep the way the family cared about the sheep. And this was a great description of the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis and the leaders of the Jewish council, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, that ruled over the people at the time that Jesus came. And you could see that by the way they handled the situation with the blind man that had just happened. Their lack of care, their lack of concern for this blind man. They were so hard-hearted that they were more concerned about people following after Jesus than they were to rejoice that a blind man was healed, that he could now see. They were just terrified that people would follow Jesus rather than them. They were actually the blind ones. And Jesus said of them, you're blind guides leading people into a ditch. Why were they like this? Why were they so hard-hearted? Well, the truth is they had no relationship, no real relationship with God. And what drove them was their desire to be in power and to stay in power, to rule over people and to look spiritual. If you look at Matthew 2, uh, 23, if you could flip over there or you don't have to, I think we're going to have it up on the screen. This is just a small snippet of what Jesus had to say during his three-year ministry about those who would call themselves the shepherds of Israel. Starting in verse 2, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees 
have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and they do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. If you don't know, that means it was just what they wore to prove that they were spiritual. And they loved the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. And when you think of it, it's, it's really sad that this was the leadership that Israel had. And the reason it's so sad is because they, they gave the people a skewed understanding of who God is. You know, if God is like them, there was no love. There was no care. There was no concern. There was only this show of righteousness and these rules that they were forced to follow with no help from their leaders. And I have to say that, unfortunately, today's church has much the same problem. You know, as I said before, the word for shepherd is also the word for pastor in the Greek. And as pastors, we are to be under shepherds, leading the flock of Christ in the same way that he did. The Apostle Peter gave instructions to those who were called to lead the church. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. There Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, elders, leaders, pastors, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed, I exhort you, elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. This was Peter's instruction for all those who would be leading the church. And, and I pray that we here at Living Truth live up to what Peter has here. I know it's the desire of our hearts to be these kind of under-shepherds to you. But I would have to say that today there is many so-called pastors leading congregations astray all over America and other places in the world. Some are teaching a false prosperity doctrine, collecting their own sordid gain. They, they prey on people's emotions, making false promises in order to enrich themselves. And there's others out there today that are teaching a secular, humanistic religion rather than a relationship with Christ rather than the true gospel. And they demote the word of God to, and you maybe have heard this lately, a book of ancient writings, rather than being the true word of God. And then they pass Jesus off, and I know you've heard this one, as a, well, he was a good moral teacher. You know, you wonder, at least I wonder, why if they don't believe in the Bible, why do they even bother? 
But I think it's evident. I think you look at them and you realize they're just like the Pharisees and the scribes. Hypocrites, Jesus called them. Because they like to appear as though they're spiritual people. And I want to encourage any pastor, elder, or leader, of course, in our church, but those who might be hearing this online or on the radio, if you call yourself a pastor, a shepherd of God's people, look at Peter's instructions and ask yourself, are you following that? And I would also give a warning. Woe to those of you that are leading the flock of God astray the way these Pharisees were. God will hold those people accountable. But I have an encouragement for you, too. You, the flock. You, the sheep. I have an encouragement to you. Make sure that you're following a good shepherd. Now, I know that most of you are here, and, and, uh, and I hope that we're the good shepherds that we're supposed to be, but some of you may go to other places. Make sure you're following a good shepherd. Make sure you're following a true shepherd, one who teaches the Word of God and cares for his flock the way Jesus did. And then I have another instruction for you. Be a good sheep. Be a good sheep. Don't be a rebellious sheep. Now look, why do you want to not be a rebellious sheep? Well, do you know what shepherds did to the rebellious sheep? The one who would continually wander off? You know, we read the story of, of Jesus and, you know, he would... Leave the 99 to go after the one, and that's true, and shepherds would do that. But if they continued to wander off, you know what they would do? I hope there's no PETA people in here. <laughs> They'd break their legs. Oh, how horrible. No. They would break their legs, and you know what they would do after that? They would pick them up and carry them. You've seen that picture, uh, you know, that's very popular with Jesus with the lamb around his neck. Well, that would be a lamb with broken legs because they would pick, he would pick the lamb up. The shepherd would pick the lamb up. He would carry them everywhere and bond more with that sheep as the sheep's legs healed. And the sheep learned, okay, don't go wandering off anymore. Now, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but sometimes God disciplines us that way. Maybe not physically with a broken leg, but I do believe sometimes we actually are disciplined physically. But I can tell you, God's, I don't know if he's broken it, but he sure bruised it more than once in my life. Sometimes God will discipline us because we need to be disciplined that way. So be a good sheep and follow a true shepherd. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that would be us, the, the under shepherds here at Living Truth. You know, we're not afraid to say follow us. If we were, that would mean we're doing a lot of stuff that shouldn't be followed. But we're trying our best to follow Christ. So follow a true shepherd. Now next, J Jesus is going to reiterate that it's he who is the true shepherd. In verses 14 here, and 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And you know, Jesus, in his three-year ministry, he proved it with his actions, not just his word, did he not? And the thing is, he's doing the same thing today. 
He's proving over and over and over that he will lay his life down for us once and for all for our salvation, but even more than that, in the intercedes daily for us in prayer for us with the Father. He proves it with his actions, not just with his words, and he's continuing to prove it. You see, Jesus, as the description of a shepherd, Jesus is one who takes care of his flock. Jesus is one who knows his flock by name. Jesus is one who feeds his flock and waters his flock. And Jesus is one who defends his flock from predators. He's one who causes his flock to rest. And most importantly, he's one who lays down his life for his sheep. Now remember that Jesus is speaking to Jewish people here. He came first for the house of Israel. His first and foremost mission was to bring Israel back into the fold, back into a true relationship with God. See, the false shepherds could never do this because they had no relationship with God, just a false appearance of one. But here's what's great. Praise God, Jesus came also to bring others not of the same fold. And he came to bring us into the fold. And he's the shepherd of that flock, one flock. John 10, 16, he says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see, those other sheep are all non-Jewish people that respond to the call of the shepherd. And that's us today, the church. When Jesus says one flock, he's talking about the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ which is made up of anyone who will believe in his name. But note here that those who would come into this fold are those who hear his voice and then what? They respond to it. You see, sheep respond to the call of the shepherd. In those days when, when the, the sheep were in town, so to speak, and the shepherd, they were in their own hometown, at nighttime they would be put into one big sheepfold with a bunch of other flocks. They were all put there together at night, and uh, there was a certain... Um, shepherd there called the gatekeeper or the porter and so the gatekeeper or the porter would be in charge of everyone's flocks for that particular night these were pretty elaborate uh, sheep pens compared to other ones so they put them all in one sheepfold the gatekeeper or porter would take care of them and then that way the other shepherds could actually go home for a night yes believe it or not sometimes they went home they didn't sleep in the fields every night when they returned in the morning they would call their sheep with a special call. And each group of sheep would know the shepherd's call and they would respond and come to their shepherd. And, and uh, people that have been to Israel, and I know a lot of you have here, you may have even seen that because it still happens today. So the sheep respond to the call of their shepherd. And I know that most of you in here today, by the grace of God, have responded to the true shepherd's call. And you've come to him. But I also know that there may be some in here today that have heard the shepherd's call before and they've never responded. And maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you're hearing this today and you 
you understand that this is the first time you have heard this call. Now, how is he calling you? What do you mean he's calling me? How is he calling you? Well, he's calling you today with the truth that you have just heard. The truth of the word of God called the gospel. And I'm asking you, will you respond to that call today? Now, you might say, well, why should I respond to that call? What's, what's in it for me? That's usually our first response. What's in it for me? Well, as I've described the good shepherd and how he takes care of his flock, wouldn't you like to have a shepherd like that over you? Someone that cares about you in the way that, that we've read about this morning? Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 23, verse 1. Now, I know many of you have this psalm memorized and can say it without looking at your Bible, and that's great. But Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, it says it's a psalm of David. King David wrote this psalm. And he starts out by saying, The Lord, and the Lord there is Yahweh, I am. The same I am we've been talking about. The Lord, the I am, is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff That's the rod and staff of a shepherd. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness or mercy in some of your translations will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I know that many of you are familiar with this psalm. Some of you have it memorized. And even if you're a non-believer, you have probably heard this before. And in fact, many people like to quote this psalm as if it applies to them. But I want to tell you something today. This psalm only applies to you if Yahweh is your shepherd. That means if you've responded to His call on your life, if you have not done this, This psalm does not apply to you. But if you have, then all the promises that are contained in this psalm are for you. What are are these promises if we look at them? Well, this psalm promises that you'll have contentment in your life. It promises that you'll have rest. It promises that you'll have God's leading in your life, guiding you to live a life of righteousness. It promises you that you'll have a life that's not dominated by fear. It promises that you'll have a relationship with one who can comfort you in your time of need. It promises you an eternal life that is so secure that you could actually sit and eat even when your enemies are all surrounding you. Now, I like that one. No matter what's happening in my life, I can sit and eat because He's prepared a table for me. 
It promises you a life that's filled with God's goodness, His love, and His mercy. And you have an assurance, and I, I want you to hear this well. An assurance promised by God Himself that you will be His child and that you will be with Him forever. That you will not be judged by God for your sin and you will not suffer His wrath. You can be assured of that when you have responded to the call of Christ. Why? Because Jesus was already judged for you. Not because of anything good in you or anything you've done to earn it, but only because you have a true good shepherd who loves you so much that he died for you. And he protects you always, always keeping you in the sheepfold. If you look again down at verses 27 through 29 of John chapter 10, he says this, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then in verse 28, now don't miss the promises in here. Verse 28, he says, I give what? Eternal life to them. And he promises they will never perish. And he promises again, no one, no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. You see, when you receive Christ, it then becomes his responsibility to keep you in the sheepfold. It's not up to you. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, I go do anything I want. No, no, no. But because you have a true shepherd who loves you this much, you're going to want to follow him. You're going to want to experience all that he has for you, all that he has promised you. But it's up to him to see you. It says in Philippians, until the day of Christ. Many people have said, well, in context, that it was all about this gift that they were giving. And that's all true. But this is more than the context. It says that he's going to perfect his work in you until the day of Christ. When is the day of Christ? Well, it could be two things. It could be that day that you go home to be with the Lord, which is going to be all of us, unless the rapture comes first. And I'm praying for that one. But that's the day of Christ, when we come to be with the Lord. And there's also the actual eternal day of Christ prophesied in the Bible. It's up to Jesus. He is going to keep you in his fold. That's why you want to be a good sheep. Don't wander off. But some of you might look at this and you might be saying right now, well, wait, wait, wait. Surely there's got to be another way. Surely there's not only one way to God, only one way to heaven, only one way to have peace and all these things in your life that the Bible says. What about all the people in all the world that have these different beliefs and they're so sincere in what they believe? What about them? Are you telling me they're not going to heaven, they're going to hell? Well, I'm not saying it. Jesus is. I'm just telling you what he says. Go back to verse 9. Go back to verse 9. 
He says, I am. Again, the ego of me, which tells us who's speaking here. This is God speaking. God speaking. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now go back and look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door, that's Jesus, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, now what's all that about? Well, we talked about when the shepherds are in town with their sheep. But what about when they're out of town, just like we read in Luke, right? They were out in the fields by night. Well, they had a different sheep pen when they were out in the fields by night. And it was much less elaborate than the one we described earlier. David Guzik says it this way. He says, a field sheep pen was an enclosure for sheep with only one entrance. Only one entrance. It might be a cave, a stone, or even a mud brick structure. And it might or might not have a roof. So there was only one entrance to that sheepfold. And the shepherd would actually be the very sheep gate. How would he do that? Well, the shepherd, after he got all the sheep into the fold, would actually lie down at the opening. He would lie down right there. And because he was lying there, the sheep then would never step over him and leave the sheepfold. And not only that, if any animal or person would try to enter the sheepfold, they would have to pass through him and remember a good shepherd, a true shepherd, would not allow that to happen. So the shepherd was actually the sheep gate or the door in to the sheepfold. And it's a clear picture. This is what Jesus is saying. I am the gate. I am the door. I am laying down here. And no one can come into the fold unless they are a true sheep. How do you become a true sheep? By responding to the call of the shepherd. So those who are in the fold are true sheep. The Bible says in the end times that Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. The goats won't get in, only the sheep. But also, he lays there to protect the sheep from any outside intrusions. And he's doing that for anyone who is a true sheep. And if anyone would try to convince you that there's any other way to eternal life, any other way to a relationship with God, the Bible says they're a thief and a robber. They come to destroy, just like he said about the Pharisees. He said, you are of your father, the devil, in John 8, 44. You see, people who even mean well don't understand that they're just a tool of the enemy when they try to lead you to heaven in some other way. There's only one way. That's Jesus, the door John 8, 24 says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am, once again, ego a me. I am God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And in John 1, 12 and 13, he says it this way. But as many as received him, that means those who have responded to the call of the shepherd, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe or put faith and trust in his name. Who were born, and catch this, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man by God. You see, it's God's will that you would believe in Christ for salvation. The Bible says that he's not willing for anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. But the thing is, you have to choose. You have to choose to respond to the call of the shepherd. And I'm asking you, will you choose that today? Will you believe? Will you put your trust and faith in Jesus and allow him to be your good shepherd? You know, as we celebrate Christmas, the birth of a child, a child who was fully man, but also fully God, the one who's king of kings and the savior of mankind, the one who was surrounded by sheep and shepherds on that night. Let's remember that it happened that way because nothing happens by accident with God. He was painting a picture for us. And this child that we, we call Emmanuel, God with us, that he would be our shepherd, this baby boy would grow up to be our shepherd and who would lay down his life for each one of us. And for all of you that have called on his name, you responded to the call of the shepherd, you get to celebrate this Christmas knowing that you're going to spend eternity with him, knowing that you have a good shepherd who cares for you and has given you all the promises that you read in Psalm 23. For those of you that have never responded to that call, I'm going to ask you, will you respond to that call today? As Shane and the worship team comes up, uh, I asked Shane, I kind of threw him a curveball because I, I, I gave him a song and I said, would you please do this song? He's, they've never done it before, so. <laughs> Uh, but, but he said, yes, he'd do this song. And, and this song is going to celebrate what we have learned this morning. It's going to celebrate our good shepherd. And I'm just asking for those of you this morning, you've never asked Christ into your life. You've, you've never responded to that call and said, yes, I want him to be my shepherd. I'm going to ask this morning that you would consider doing that. And we're going to pray before Shane leads us in this song, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Lord, as we contemplate once again um, the birth of Jesus, fully God, fully man, coming to this earth and living a, a life a life of perfection, a life without sin, an unblemished lamb who some 33 years later would lay his life on the line for his sheep. Who, Lord, gave himself up for us that day on the cross. And Lord, he did that because he loves us and cares for us. And Lord, because you wanted us to have a relationship with you. And so this morning, Lord, um, if there is anyone in here who has never responded to your call, understanding that you gave your life for them, 
I pray that this morning they would do that. And if that's you this morning, I would just ask, I'm going to lead you in a, in a prayer. And the words are not so critical as your heart. And if this morning you want to give your heart to Christ and have him be your good shepherd and be assured of eternal life, salvation in him, just, just pray something like this. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you have revealed to me that you are my Savior. And I thank you, Lord, that you gave your life for me so that I could come into relationship with you. I could enter into your sheepfold. And so today, I want to respond to your call. And I want to give my life over to you, Lord. I want to make you my Savior, my Lord. And I want to be a good sheep, Lord. I want to follow you. Lord, I confess that I have rebelled against you, that have not followed your will and your ways. And today I turn from that. I want to turn from my own way and go towards you, Lord, and go your way. And so I thank you, Lord, for dying on a cross for me. And I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, for all of those here this morning have already responded to your call. I just pray, Lord, that this will be such a blessed Christmas for them. And Lord, I know that they may be going through tough things. And I pray that they go back to Psalm 23 and be reminded that you are their shepherd, Lord, and you're there to comfort, that you're there to give rest, that you're there, Lord, to meet every need that they may have. And that we can just rest in that knowledge, Lord. So bless each one of the saints that are here this morning. And God, I pray as we close this service out today that you will be working in all of our lives, molding and shaping us, Lord, that we wouldn't walk out of here another day just saying, well, that was a nice sermon or that was nice worship. But Lord, that you would use things that we heard today, things that we experienced from you today, and that you would change us and mold us and shape us and make us more like you. And I ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.